Good morning, good sir. Hey, did you like this setup here? Did that make sense? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it actually helped a lot. I didn't have to, like, turn around. Well, you, well, not super with that. Yeah. But I like it. I just got down oh, there. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Man, I, I love looking out and seeing people stand up to go shake somebody's hand. It, it feels good. And if you're a visitor here today who is especially an introvert, um, let myself as an extrovert apologize, but we want you to know that we are so glad you're here. If you are a visitor here with us today, we have a gift for you. All you have to do is fill out a connect card, which is out in the lobby, or you can go to info or you can hope-assembly.com backslash connect, and there's an online connect card. You just click which one you want to fill out, whether it's a prayer request or uh, taking a next step or... I'm a first-time visitor. And you fill that out, and we will give you a water bottle. I got a brand-new box, not new water bottles, but uh, I believe we're on our last box of water bottles. I ordered about 75 or 100 earlier this year. And through thank yous and visitors and speakers, we have given them out as appreciation gifts. But welcome to Hope. My name is Zach. I'm going to take note of the time, and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to see if I can stop this iPad from talking to us like it's done regularly. And I'm going to turn my phone on Do Not Disturb just so it doesn't talk to me either. All right. Perfect. Well, my name is Zach. I get to be the pastor here at Hope Church. I am thrilled that you chose to join us today. Hey, we are in the middle of a series. It is called Asking for a Friend. Or if you want to call it the elephant in the room, or what I refer to it as myself, as I don't want to preach this. Uh, these are topics I'm not excited about, but I am. And these are things that we need to talk about as a church. I want to talk about them, but also at the same time, I avoid them. You know, sometimes, have you ever gone grocery shopping and you've seen somebody and you're like, I really don't want to talk to that person today. Maybe you saw me and you're like, he talks for five minutes, 30 minutes on Sunday, He's going to hold me up even more. I've got to get home. I'm ducking down this aisle. That's how I treat these topics. Um, and if that's how you feel about me, that's okay. I'm still your friend. And if I see you, I will try to keep it to four minutes, 30 seconds. All right? That's, that's my deal. But hey, today, before you leave, I want to say this before I tell you what we're going to talk about. Before you, maybe you're listening online. Don't leave when I tell you the topic. <laughs> I believe that there is something for you. Now, you do not have to agree with me 100%. That is fine. But there is something here for you today. This topic is, is divisive and can really find its way into the church and cause problems. And we're going to talk about how that happens. But I believe there is a way to handle this a Christian or as a believer the best way we can. And that is politics. I don't know where you sit, on which side of the aisle, whether you're going to caucus on the third or not, what flag or red hat you may or may not wear, that's not what I'm talking about today. 
I think we all can come to agreement by the end of this sermon about a Christian's role in a world full of politics. So, let's jump in. I would like to go to Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, I have one. I will give it to you. Uh, the church has a box full of these things. They're the exact Bible I read out of, or it's a message translation. It's yours to keep. Mark it up. We just gave one away at Chi Alpha on Thursday, so it's not like I'm teasing you. Or you can read it on the screen behind me. Follow along on your phone. Or just scroll on your phone anyways, because, hey, I understand. Multitask. Here we go. Verse 8. But the disciples, oh, let me give you context. Jesus has just fed the 4,000 with a miraculous, a miraculous miracle. Here's just a couple loaves and a couple fish, and Jesus is like, we can feed everybody. And there was leftovers more than there was ever even to start with. My wife makes some really good food. Recently, she's been jumping in the Chip and Joanna Gaines cookbook. And I'm like, God, if you could just multiply this more than she made when we're done so I can have it tomorrow. Amen, right? Everybody's got the favorite meal. They want that. Anyway. So they just get done feeding the 5,000, 4,000, and they get in a boat, and they're, they're sailing to the other side. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. Verse 9, as they were crossing the lake, 14, sorry, 15, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you, didn't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it all in? You have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I had fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? Yes. Don't you understand yet that they just left a miracle that God did, which was the handful of bread thousand people, seven leftover baskets. A handful of bread does not fill seven baskets. And here they're arguing over one loaf of bread. Can you hear it now, can't you? Because I'm a, uh, in this role, I can see God do something incredible and then completely forget about it the next minute because I just shift into gears. In, in a leadership position, as a parent maybe even, Let's just talk about parenting because you're leading kids. You go on vacation, and guess what? Your husband, because it's always the husband who gets to pack the sunscreen, forgot to pack sunscreen. And here you are at Disneyland or Disney World or Silver Dollar City or the water park or just Rosedale Rapids, and you're like, you forgot the sunscreen. And you just forgot that, you know, he just went and got you Starbucks and was really caring for you and loved you extraordinary and helped you through that pregnancy. Uh, and, and we, just like that, we do the same thing with God. And God can do this miracle. I, and I can say it as a pastor, God does a miracle, and I'm, I'm trying to 
like walk with him and lead a church. And then all of a sudden the administrative side kicks in. I'm like, ooh, where's this money coming from, God? And he's like, did you not just see the miraculous offering that came in today? I'm like, yeah, but what about next week? That's not even what I'm preaching. That's a free one. Let's pray before we get distracted. God, I thank you today. Lord, the majority of us don't like the cold. We take 30-degree weather in the middle of January. Uh, it's over. It's better than negative wind we had last Sunday. Grateful for that, Lord. May we always find the things to cling on to to say, I'm happy for this. I'll take it over that. There's always a blessing to be found. Lord, we're your children. When we're one with you, there's always a blessing. There's always something you're doing for us. And we want to tap into that and be grateful for that daily. But in these moments, would you speak to us? Would you reach us? Would our hearts and minds be open to what you have? God, for myself, may the cry of my heart forever and always be. May my words be few and yours be many. Amen. Amen. Uh, I remember the first time I had raw fish. We were on a cruise, and it's, they, they have a specialty item. Like every night there's something special you can try, a unique thing. Uh, I'm not super adventurous. I'm not going to try it every night, but at most nights. And one night they had this cold uh, salmon or cold smoked salmon. I don't remember the exact name of the dish. Essentially, when it came to me, it was a three to four pieces of raw salmon. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to eat this. But I was like, I ordered it. I'll be adventurous. That started my desire sushi. I ate it, and I was like, this is incredible. And then it gave me bad gas. I was like, it's even better than I expected. And uh, I was like, I want to eat raw sushi all the time. And so we get back, and there's an opportunity to eat sushi. I'm like, I'm going to try sushi now. I tried it, and I was like, this is incredible. I would love to go with you to eat sushi sometime if you're a sushi person. But here, here's the thing. You know who's not a sushi person? My wife. And that's okay. She had too much sushi one time. She's like, I'm good. And also, she tends to get pregnant every now and again. So you can't have sushi when you're pregnant. Oh, that stalls her sushi eating. But she doesn't like it, even when she's not a big sushi person. And then you have the other side where people are like, I can't believe you eat raw fish. Like, seriously. I'm like, I know, it's terrible. Shrimps are the cockroach of the ocean, and yet here I am eating raw shrimp. Uh, or, or just raw fish in general. It's weird. I understand this. And... And people, it seems like sushi is kind of where people draw the line. It's like the most type of discussion you can have about food. Unless you're like talking with a vegan or a vegetarian, then we can talk about anything and disagree on a lot of stuff because let me tell you what, praise the Lord for Prime Rib at Texas Roadhouse. Anyways, um, sushi though, I think most people will draw a line. You kind of find yourself either against sushi or like, I'll eat it, yeah. And it always leads to discussion. How can you eat this? Why would you like sushi? But you know the incredible sushi is this. There's understanding. Look, I know you don't like it. I'm not going to force you to eat it. You're not going to force me not to eat it. So we'll just be good. We can eat it. sit down at the same table. You're going to turn your nose up. I'm going to eat this super fast because I love it. I'm going to mix a little wasabi. And fun fact, because Zachary has way too many fun facts in his brain, and he's going to say it anyways. Uh, if you do like sushi and you get the little green wasabi, that's not wasabi. Wasabi is a 
as we about ran overseas out of Wasabi when we found out what it was. We're like, this is great. And Wasabi does, sorry. Moving on. Anyways, I you're going to turn your nose up. Know this. Not very many restaurants are going to serve sushi. They're going to serve other options, right? So come with me. She gets hers. I get mine. We're good. We're going to make a couple jokes at each other. But we still can live. It's like we're at each other's throats or people are rioting outside Ninja Steakhouse because they serve sushi. It, it's not going to happen. It's the most divisive food, but yet we still can live together about it because we know we need food. And you're going to eat, I'm going to eat, we're going to be fine, we're going to go home, we're going to watch a movie and go to bed. That's pretty typical, right? Like, that's just kind of how we are as humans. But what if we compared sushi to politics? Imagine if we took our anger love of sushi like we do with our politics, some of us. Imagine if we talked about sushi like we talked about. Sushi's going to take your guns. This sushi's the Antichrist or... She is chosen by God. This, she's going to make America great again. I could go on, pick any political statement and put sushi in it, and it sounds ridiculous, does it not? Zach, this is two different things. One's food, and one is our government. I don't want to lose our rights. When I was growing up as a kid, I believed Jesus was a Republican. Obviously, he would have owned a gun, and he would have wore it on his hip and the Sermon on the Mount told people to love others. And there's some people who grow up and say, no, Jesus was a Democrat because he cared about people and he wanted to take care of them no matter what. It's interesting. I heard a pastor say this. The same verses that Republicans use to claim that Jesus would be a Republican are the same verses Democrats use to claim that Jesus would be a, a Democrat. It's so interesting how we can take Scripture really just look how we want it to look. And it's, it's sad, because politics have even found its way into the church. Like, she, the Antichrist, or the Chosen One. We have starting to put politics and Christianity in. What happens when we put the sword and the cross together? Devastation. A misrepresentation of Jesus. You get the Crusades. You get terrible, terrible things happening to people that is nowhere close to the gospel. But what I do know is this politics and the church and the kingdom of God do not play well together. It has the power to divide, dissolve churches, make people enemies who are both brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what politics can do, can it not? And I know we're not all extremists to the left or extremists to the right. Some of us are probably just in the middle saying, I wish we could be at peace. But politics have a way to find itself into the church and even push people out of the church when they get too much into the church. When we start drawing lines and, and uh, saying, and this is really dangerous because uh, I'm not against free speech in, in what you believe, but 
when we start saying things like, well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, it, it makes Republicans feel like they're maybe not being welcome at a church. Maybe they should find a different one. And I'd hate for somebody to miss the gospel because I, a political color, I prefer over another one. You see, the kingdom and politics never play well together. And, and Jesus talks about this in Mark 8. And you're like, no, he doesn't. He talks about, he talks about a miracle. No. They argued about the fish. I believe it's uh, verse 15, Nolan. Okay, verse 16. Nope, I was right, 15. I'm sorry. As they're crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the feast of the Pharisees and of Herod. My speakers in the room, people who like to who just likes cinnamon rolls? Amen? Praise the Lord for cinnamon rolls and chili. Oh, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Take a moment. Mm. Praise break. Okay. Uh, when you make cinnamon when you make it takes yeast, does it not? Yeast spreads water. And what's the yeast do? It grows the, the dough. So, only way yeast can work is when you activate it with something. When you add it. Yeast in your cupboard, in the packet, in the red mill packet, is not going to get bigger. I bought yeast three years ago. Guess what? It's still half an ounce sitting in my cupboard. It hasn't multiplied to a cup yet. When we start putting divisiveness of the Pharisees who were politically minded, and especially Herod, who was the political leader of the time, and we let it get in there, we let it grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can put it in the fridge, but still what happens when you put it in the fridge? It grows. You set it on the counter, it grows even faster. Jesus is like, watch out, because when this grows, it will take up more than it ever should. There is a place for politics in the church. But do not let it find the yeast of political power. There's a place, but it can grow way too big just with a little too much focus. And that's what he's getting at. See, they forgot the miracle. They forgot that they just left a miracle of, of one that has never been done again. One of Jesus' most visible miracle to people. They saw the boy come up with the bread and the fish, and they saw Jesus pray and break the bread, and they saw the disciples hand it out, and it just kept multiplying and multiplying. It was a visible, physical miracle they saw, and they walk away and they start what? Arguing about food. You forgot the bread. You only grabbed one loaf out of the seven baskets. There was seven baskets back there, Judas. Man, you didn't grab it, John. You were too busy loving up on Jesus, too busy staring at him and being his best friend. Way to go, best friend of Jesus. You forgot the bread. Peter, come on, man. You were staring at that good look in a row, weren't you? You were like, I'm Jesus' best friend. What's the number? You forgot the bread, Peter. And you start bickering. Bickering, bickering, and Jesus is like, you missed it. You missed it. You let divisiveness, and power, and influence, and watch how it's already grown. I told you, the yeast. God has done, but most importantly, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God has done, what Jesus has done, who He truly is because that's what his miracles do right that's what being in the presence of jesus it shows us who god is it shows us his power come on 
miracle that God has done in your life, seeing him come through one, you're like, wow, God is real. Jesus is real. There was a time in your life, I'm almost willing to bet if you're sitting here, there was a time, maybe it was 50 years ago, that you remember God is real. Those type of times, we are very quick to forget about them and forget who God is and who Jesus is when divisiveness and power come back into play. We forget who he is. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. You don't have to flip to it. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, Capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. First off, this isn't even the message translation, and I love it already. It's very straight and to the point. Look, there can be elegant people out there. One of my favorite pastors to listen to is Rabbi Zacharias. But he's not using empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. But there's people out there that can. They can sound really important and really intelligent. That come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also you so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Look, we can get caught up what he's saying get caught up in the political mess. You can get caught up by smooth words and good talkers and people who have it put together or people who just have don't really have the words, but you know they have a plan, and you're like, I'm interested to see what you're going to try to pull off here. We can get caught up in that. Or we can remember above it all. Like I said, when I was a kid, I thought Jesus was a Republican. I remember uh, there was a pastor one time who says, Jesus is still on the throne. God is still God. He is King of King, Lord of Lord, and above all. And I thought for a second, I was like, I remember he was preaching politically. I was like, so wait. Uh, is there like a throne in that represents God? Is that where he sits? But I forget the, the vastness of what this statement is. He doesn't need a throne in a political center. He's already over everything. He already sits above it all. That's what, one more time, throw up verse 10. It says, in your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. These people who are using smooth words, who are trying to gain power and control, which really is what it is. When I look at this, I can't not see people just trying to get power over somebody else. And when we get caught up in that, we forget who we really should be caught up in. We're joining something that is destined to fail eventually. We're hitching our wagon. We're putting way too much focus and letting the yeast grow way bigger than it should and finding its way where it shouldn't be. And we forget who Jesus is, who God is, the authority and the ruler above all. But this is Asking for a Friend, the series. And every week I've given you a statement that Jesus has said because I believe that the gospel holds a lot of truth. And if you just start opening your Bible, start with the gospel. My favorite's John. It's me. So what's Jesus say? There's a slide on there. Throw it up. It says, that's what he said. Jesus is being cornered by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to him and says, Jesus, should we pay our taxes? 
This is a tricky question. They're hoping Jesus says something wrong, so he has to backpedal. So they can corner him and, and call him a fake or, or not smart or use it against him in some way. And Jesus, he asks for, for a coin. He says, hey, who's on this coin? And they're like, well, Caesar's on the coin. And verse 17, he says this. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. They completely, they, his reply completely amazed them. Zach, what does this have to do with politics? It's talking about taxes. Are you telling me we need taxes? Yeah, April 15th is coming. You get your giving statements, take it to your tax. What does this have to do? The coin had Caesar's face on it. Last I looked, nowhere on us are we marked with a political party. Nor were we made in our mother's womb Democrat, Republican, Independent, Tea Party. I don't know. I'm not very good at government. No. To understand what God's saying here in a political sense, I want us to use the Bible to understand the Bible. So we're going to go back to Genesis, chapter 1. And it says, He, he made man in his image. It means we are the image of God. Now, maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but if not, let me explain this. Genesis was later on. Now, there's already all these kingdoms set up in earth, and when it says that you are the image of God, the author of Genesis is in reference to all these political powers and all these nations or, or clans or tribes who are marking their territory with what? Images of themselves, their face, their markings. That is their image. The image of tribe XYZ. But if you are the image of God, meaning, understand this, you belong to God. So when, now let's read this verse again. When he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. Remember, how do we know that the coin is Caesar's? Because it has the image of Caesar on it. And you, believer, are the image of God, two very separate, different things. And if we're the image of God, who, using 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, I'm not trying to just run around with you, there's a point here. That means we belong to the one who is above all. That means we have already won. It means that no matter what happens this November or on February 3rd at the Iowa caucus, no matter who's in the White House a year from now, actually be more than a year from now, we've already won. And this is going to be really hard for us because we do have a responsibility to vote as Americans. It's a privilege we get. We're living in this blessed country, so we're so blessed that I think we need to be just as excited about caucusing for Jesus. Sorry. Just too easy, low-hanging fruit. As we are talking about our politics. In fact, I dare say we need to be more excited daily reaching for Jesus because guess what? We are a part of a winning team. There is no vote that has to be had. He's already won. He already defeated death in the grave. And he's above all. All it takes from us is saying, God, here I am. We're already a part of a winning team. Yet we choose to hitch ourselves to wagons that are going to destine and fail and maybe lose and lie and cheat and steal and 
and do all these terrible things, and we want to hitch ourselves to these wagons so we can be on a winning team, but we've already forgotten we're on the winning team. Worship team, come down here. I'm, I'm getting long-winded. Are you more concerned about politics or the kingdom? That's the question I want you to ask yourself today. If you want to highlight something in your Bible, highlight the last verse 17. Give to God what is God's. Cross-reference Genesis chapter 1. Colossians chapter 2. Are you more concerned about politics and the political powers or the power who's won it all in the kingdom that each and every one of us are invited to be a part of? The kingdom that Jesus came so we could be to fulfill the law so we could be a part of the kingdom by accepting Christ as our Savior. Whose kingdom are we worried about? Look, I'm not telling you not to vote. In fact, vote. Like I said, we are blessed. And if you want to vote, I want you to pray about it. And I want you to ask God to tell you who to vote for. And put aside all your preferences and everything that the media has told us because we know they're, they're honest and true. And everything our friends have told us that's completely honest and true. And go to the true source of knowledge. Say, God, who, who do I vote for here? If you're on the throne, which he is, I know no matter what happens next, I'm on the winning team. So God, I forget everything I've heard, every lie or half-truth or, or statement or whatever I've been fed by family news, Christian leaders, to vote. I put aside everything that I think I know you're telling me in the Bible, and I lean into your spirit and say, God, speak to me today. If you want to vote, that's how I tell you to vote. I will never, in my life as a pastor, Hand out voting guides. If someone told you I gave them one, you probably have 99.9% .9 chance to call them out and say, probably not. If you want a voting guide, pray about it. Here's your voting guide. Because here's the deal. I know who sits on the throne. reigns above all else, who will last through the rise and fall of nations, who made it through the Romans' misunderstanding of the gospel, who still survives today in a China that is full of oppression and no religious freedom, yet God is still on the throne and is church is on the move. Now, that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a kingdom or a leader who's lasted that past eight years. 
be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will not be stopped, that is centered on unification of its people to say, ah, we might disagree politically, but you are a sister in Christ, and I am a brother in Christ, and we are both a part of a kingdom that's already won. Now, if you're here today and you say, I want to be a part of that kingdom, I want to be a part of the kingdom that's already won, where God is on the throne, who's already defeated death in the grave, I want to give you an option right now just to slip your hand up and back down again. And not yet. Hold on. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to count to the count of three. This is a life-changing decision where we say, God, I give you my life. I want to be where you are. I want to be with you. You have the best for me. And so I'm going to give you all I have. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. If that's you today, the count of three, just slip your hand up and back down again. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three. I believe when you respond outwardly with what's happening on the inside, it solidifies it more. This is a moment to celebrate. Yeah. 